0: Well, Harvest, throughout the book of Judges, we've seen this pattern. We've seen the the Lord calling men and women, raising them up, equipping them to do the work of the ministry. And Harvest, we want to be a church that's doing the same thing. We want to be a church that's raising up men and women as the Lord is calling them and equipping them, giving them opportunities for ministry and building strong leaders, the last couple of years, the Lord's been working with Pastor Robbie, and uh, Robbie's our newest staff member, came on staff back in August. He is our pastor of Harvest Kids. I absolutely love it when I'm back there and I see the kids look at Pastor Robbie and say, that's my pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Lord's been doing a work, in Robbie and uh, So today we're going to do something new. Go ahead and grab your Bible, open up to Judges chapter 10. This morning's going to be some tag team preaching, Okay. It's our first ever tag team preaching. Pastor Robbie's going to take verses 1 through 5. I'm going to pick up verses 6 through 16. And I know what you're thinking. Two pastors, two sermons. <laughs> when are we going to get out of here, right? Church, two pastors, we have one sermon. We're going to get you out on time. And it's not about the messenger. It's all about the message message. This morning, the Lord has a message for us, Judges chapter 10.
1: Good morning, everyone. All right, everybody there in Judges 10? All right, great. Now, before we read it, I just want to warn you, it's pretty short, okay? I'm, I only have five verses. And, and I want to encourage you that as I was working through this as well, um, really trying to realize, um, do you believe that this is God's eternal word? This is the question I was working through. And so do you guys believe that this is God's eternal word? Good, good. We're off to a good start then. So as I was working through this, uh, we see, we will read about uh, two judges within five verses of God's word. And uh, I want to, what we've been noticing from this series is several sub-stories within the larger culminating big story of what the book of Judges teaches us. And although these two judges that we're going to learn about today don't get a lot of stage time, they still reveal to us the theme of judges, and they show to us the character of God. So let's jump in and read. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he lived at Shemir in the hill country of Ephraim, and he judged Israel 23 years, then he died and was buried at Shemir. After him arose Jer, the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. And he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities, called Jer to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jer died and was buried and came in came What we have here are like two tombstones. One side, we have Tola. He judged for 23 years. And he is from Ephraim. On the other side, we have Jer. He judged for for 22 years. He had a lot of kids. And he he is from Gilead. Now, it seems simple, but what's so amazing about Scripture is we can still unearth more of God's character from just a few verses. So, verse 1 says, after Abimelech, there arose to save Israel. He arose to save Israel not to continue in the tyranny that Abimelech offered. Now, if you remember from Pastor Chris's message last week, he talked about Abimelech. And Abimelech was not that great of a guy. Uh, He was murderous, he was violent, and he brought oppression on Israel. And so then we see Tola, who was coming after him, and he saved Israel. And as a result, we don't really know how he saved Israel. All we know uh, is that he remained faithful for 23 years. We don't know if he always made the right choices, or if he was a good dad, or if he judged with a type A personality, okay? But we do know that he was somebody who brought relief from oppression. We also know that he was a breath of fresh air. This judge was a saving mission sent by God to be raised up and to deliver a nation, Nothing much is said about the greatness of this judge's name. All we know is that he carried out his duties faithfully for 23 years and saved Israel. And in his time, he made God's name great. But then we come to Jer. Verse 3. After him arose Jair, the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. Now, the text doesn't explicitly say... Uh, Anything about the quality of Jer's leadership, but we can compare his eulogy to that of Tola and notice one subtle difference of what is not being said. So, for example, if I were to introduce you to two of my friends, and I said, "Here's Matt, my great friend," and here's Adam, you are starting to learn what I am implying by what I'm not saying. Okay, (laughs) so. What the same is true here with this text, right? Tola. Here is Tola. He was raised to save Israel, and then here's Jer. Okay. So, why I want to conclude, or why we can conclude that Jer was not that great of a leader, is by the next few verses. And he, Jer, had thirty sons who rode on thirty donkeys, and they, being his sons, had thirty cities. Now I don't know about you. But one woman likely cannot have 30 children on her own. Can I get an amen from all the women? Okay. All right. So this, it does, again, not explicitly say this, but we can safely assume, I think that's a safe assumption, that this, that Jared did not have one wife to have 30 children. Yet, according to Genesis 2.24, God said that marriage is between one man and one woman. And that is a sacred covenant which he established. And so we see this slow compromise of sin by a leader being Jair. Thus we watch a subtle digression of a nation that is supposed to be set apart, and they are led by a judge that is not leading as God intended. So this digression starts slowly. But we've seen this same pattern throughout all of Judges, and this will help set up Uh, Pastor Eric's section as well, and seeing where this section of compromise leads us to. The fact that Jer had 30 sons and 30 donkeys tells us that he was very rich and influential, so influential that his name spread out into 30 cities. His sons went and lived in these 30, 30 cities, and they were all called Havath Jer, and his name is even in the name of all of these cities. And so, as I was working through this passage, I started asking the question to myself if this man is starting to cut corners on compromising with sin, is he really trying to make the Lord's name great? Or is he quite literally trying to make his own name great among the nation? And we see this um, happening, and we will also see how, where it leads us to. Judges 10 1 through 5 speaks of two judges who back to back bring peace for the entire nation of Israel. And they brought peace from the west side to the east side for 45 years. On one side, we have Tola, who remains faithful to God's call. And on the other, we have Jer, who maintains peace, but at the same time, flirts with compromise. With compromise of God's commands, it it results in inevitable consequences. I think it's pretty easy for us At times also lead into compromise. And we've noticed in our own patterns of life how that leads, where that leads us to uh, with compromise. And um, this is something I was really working through in this passage of wondering: am I trying to make my own name great or am I trying to make the Lord's name great? But let me give you some good news. All right? Everybody like good news? Good. We don't see the character of these two judges, but we we also see the character of God. From these verses, we never once hear the people of Israel cry out to the Lord for help. For 45 years, he is faithful to them without a plea, without a, uh, a longing for him. He brings them peace without them asking for it. Who we serve, he is not a passive God. He is a pursuing God. He is not weak. He is a protecting God who protects his people for 45 years without them even asking for it, even if he is unmentioned or unnoticed. He is not subdued, but he is sovereign. He is sovereign about bringing his plan uh, to redemption through a broken people and even through broken leadership. These things that he gives them, all of these things together, it is called grace, God gives us grace constantly when we don't even notice or when we don't ask for it or when it's unmentioned or unrecognizable. God gives his people grace by pursuing them, by protecting them, and sovereignly granting them what they needed. He does the same for us constantly. So are we going to be a people who makes God's name great like Tola or are we going to be a people who make our own name great, like Jair.
0: Well, throughout Judges, we've seen the faithfulness of the people follows the faithfulness of the judge. The judge, he's the leader, he's the one who sets the spiritual tone, the spiritual atmosphere for the nation of Israel. So, for the last 23 years, Tola, he was faithful. He was all about making the Lord's name great. But Jair, for the last 22 years, has been about making his own name great. There's been this, this slow fade. There, there's been this, this, this giving up, this giving in. There, there's been this, this spiraling towards sin, this compromise, and that's our context as we lead up to verse six. Verse six, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, this is the sixth time that we've seen this phrase. How many? Six. Six times we've seen so far that Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, that's why the word again is here, okay? In case you missed it the last five times, again, Israel is doing evil in the sight of the Lord. The, the sight of the Lord. That's not poetry. That, that's, not a, that's not a metaphor. There, there's no deeper meaning. It. The Lord sees sin. We may not get caught in our sin. We may be able to hide our sin. Nobody around us may see our sin, but the Lord sees our sin. Proverbs 15 verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The Lord has been watching for 22 years this, this slow fade as, as the judge, as Israel has been creeping away in compromise. He's been watching their, their evil. They are further and further from the Lord. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Period. Is that in your Bible? Help me out here. Let, let, let's count. Let's count the false gods. They served the Baals. One, the Ashtera, two, the gods of Syria, three, the gods of Sidon, four, the gods of Moab, five, the gods of the Ammonites, six, the gods of the Philistines, seven. They forsook the Lord and did not serve him. How many? Seven. See, they started with Baal, but that didn't work, so they went to the Asherah, and she didn't work, so they kept going down the line. They kept going to the next God, the next God. In the Bible, the number seven, it's, it's a symbol. It means every single. It means the completeness, the, the totality. Here, the point is Israel has been going down the line, trying out, worshiping, serving every false god, every option, every neighboring god. See, sin will take you Further than you want to go. Sin will take you further than you want to go because it doesn't fulfill. It doesn't satisfy. It's an, it's an empty craving. It's an appetite for more. It it's never leaves you fulfilled. Sin never solves the problem, it just opens up the door to the next problem. And here, Israel has been going door to door to door. See, that's why the Bible uses the language of, of Israel whoring after other gods. It, it, it's like a, a, a cheap motel in the wrong part of town, and Israel has been going door to door to door, the first floor, the second floor. Israel is, is being pulled further and further away from the Lord. They're serving every false god but they're one true God. Every illustration at some point falls apart, and this one's gonna fall apart really fast, but let me try. Um, have you seen the TV show The Bachelor? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> have you seen the TV show The Bachelor? Here, no. Here, one man is dating 30 different women, or, or one woman is dating 30 Different men, because obviously that's the best way to build a strong, lasting marriage, right? That's what Israel has done. They've given up their covenant marriage relationship, their commitment to the Lord. They've taken on the role of the bachelor. They're going door to door to door. Ladies, if you were, if you were married and, and if your husband was on the bachelor, If your husband was dating 30 other women, how would that go down at your house? Not very well. See, first comes comes anger, and then comes heartbreak. And that's what we see in the response of the Lord, verse 7. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. This is the fourth time now we've seen this phrase. The anger of the Lord was kindled. See, see, God has been watching month after month, year after year. For 22 years, the Lord has been watching, and, and he's been slow to anger. He's been long suffering, but his anger is kindling, it is burning. And this is kindling, this is smoldering, it, it's giving way to a spark, which is igniting a flame which is starting a fire. And what happens when you play with fire? You get burned. And he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. This is the fifth time we've seen this phrase in the book of Judges. He has sold them, his people, to the enemies in chapter two, three, four, six, but now something different is happening because the Lord is selling his people into the hands of Two different enemies. See, if you look at the map, the the Philistines are on the west, the Ammonites are on the east, and and Israel is right in the middle. Where do you think this is going? How is this going to end for Israel? Look at verse 8. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. The words crushed and oppressed are graphic words. The only time we see the word crushed is used in Exodus chapter fifteen, verse six, when when Israel is, is following Moses and they're fleeing through the Red Sea. They have left Egypt and they're crossing through the Red Sea, and, and Pharaoh and his chariots, the Egyptian army, are following them. And in the hands of the Lord are, are holding open the, the walls of water through the Red Sea, and Israel is, is crossing through on dry ground. And as the last Hebrew gets off the dry ground, stepping onto the land, as Pharaoh and the, the Egyptian army is, is in the Red Sea, the arms of the Lord releases the water. The water comes crushing down, killing all of the the Egyptian army, all of the horses drowning, all of the men, not a single survivor. It crushed them. The word oppressed was used in chapter 9 with Abimelech. Remember him, that king? Abimelech is standing beneath the the base of a, a tall tower, and a lady takes a millstone a basketball sized rock a 30 pound rock from a tall tower and drops it on Abimelech and it crushes it shatters it oppresses his skull that's what's happening here to Israel the lord is allowing in a graphic way in a painful way for his people to be shattered to be crushed to be devastated Verse 8, they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all of the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. Not one year, not seven years. How long? 18 years. See, see sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Why 18 years? Because that's what it took. It took 18 years. It could have been shorter. God could have raised up a judge. It could have been much shorter. It could have been three months. It could have been three weeks, three days. If the Lord created the heavens and the universe, the existence in a single second with one word, he could have raised up a judge. But it took 18 long and painful years. There's been no heart change. There's been no remorse There's been no repentance on the people of Israel, and so the Lord is allowing the heat. He is pressing in and squeezing his people, trying to get their attention. Proverbs 13 verse 15 says, the way of a transgressor is hard. The the life of a sinner is hard. See, when we choose to sin, that is a choice to suffer a choice to sin is a choice to suffer because our choice to compromise will bring consequences as we remove ourselves get further and further away from the Lord we are removing ourselves from from his grace we are exposing ourselves to the full extent of our, our own depravity the Lord promises a life of sin will be hard; it will be painful. The Lord loves us. He will do anything it takes to to get our attention to to pull us back in. The Lord is not a lord of, of, of pampering love he 's about perfecting love, and here he 's been working with his people for eighteen years, and they don 't get it they 're not coming back. Sin is taking them further and further. It's keeping them longer and longer away from the Lord. And for Israel, it gets worse before it gets better. Look at verse 9. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. See, the Philistines are on the west. The Ammonites are on the east. And now they're, they're crossing over the Jordan River. They're, they're getting to, to Benjamin, to, to Judah, to, to Ephraim. This is the very center. This is the very heartbeat of the nation of Israel. This is the capital. It's one thing if, if the enemy is out fighting on the borders, but, but now they're on the front porch knocking on your door close to home. See, the point is that sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Sin doesn't just affect me. It affects everybody around me. My choices to sin lead lead to consequences. My wife, my my two children, those I love the most, those who are closest to me can be caught up in the carnage, the, the suffering of my sin. They don't deserve it. Church, all of us, all of us, we are one choice away from ruining our life. We are. One slow compromise, one spiral, one fleeting moment, one little choice, everything. It can cost us everything. Because as we choose to sin, that is a choice to suffer, and the suffering can sabotage our life. It's not worth it. Look at your marriage. Look at your kids. Look at your family. Look what the Lord has done for you. Look at what the Lord has for you, what he's promised for you. Nothing is worth that. Nothing is worth giving up and compromising. Nothing is worth that. Sin can cost you everything. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Look at verse 10. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals period. This is the first time in the book of Judges that, that we see Israel crying out and, and confessing their sin. Well, well actually, we, we, we've seen a lot of crying out, we, we've seen a lot of whining, but this is the first time that we see them admitting that they have a sin problem. This is the first time, and in verse 15, these two are the only times in the whole book of Judges we see a, an omittance of sin, but something's missing. Did you catch it? Something's missing here. Look back to verse 6. Something's missing here. They said we have sinned because we have served the Baals. Period. I guess they just happened to forget the names of the other six gods they also served, right? See, the problem is they are diminishing their sin. They're not dealing with it. They are diminishing their sin. So look how the Lord responds. Verse 11. The Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians? One. From the Amorites? Two. The Ammonites? Three. From the Philistines? Four. The Sidians also? Five. And the Amalekites? Six. And the Maonites oppressed you? Seven. And you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hand. This is the first time in the book of Judges where the Lord speaks directly to the people of Israel. And the Lord, name by name by name, is calling out specifically all seven times, meaning every single time the people of Israel have have cried out to the Lord, every single time the Lord has stepped in, he has saved them, he has raised up a judge, he has delivered them, he brought them through the Red Sea, every single time he has been there, every single time. Do you see how opposite this conversation is, this, this confession and, and this confrontation of the Lord? Do you see how opposite this is? Israel admitted they have a sin problem. They serve the Baals. Stopped. They, they, they stopped. they stopped short. The Lord gets specific, draws to their attention seven different times, the names of seven different enemies every single time. See, I think the point here for us is, we don't we don't sin generally, we we don't sin um, fuzzy, vaguely. We sin specifically. We sin concretely and clearly. And in our confession, the Lord doesn't want us in a a roundabout, cryptic way to, to admit that we have a diminished, a small view, a small problem with sin. The Lord wants us to confront it as he did. He wants us to list it name by name, clearly defining it, specifically taking it to the Lord, completely opposite approaches. And even though Israel confesses their sin, there's there's no contrition. There's no remorse. They're not broken. They're not saddened by their sin. They don't even say, I'm sorry. There's no apology. There's no asking for forgiveness. There's been no heart change. This isn't real repentance. The Lord continues to respond. Verse 13 that you have forsaken me and served other gods therefore i will save you no more Whew. wow how would you like to be on the receiving end of that go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen let them save you in your time of distress Church, the the Lord has given us a choice. The Lord has given us a choice, and we need to be very, very, very careful with that choice and who we worship and what we worship, because the Lord will honor that choice. See, in in God's sovereignty, he has allowed human responsibility, and he has given us the capacity, the, the freedom to choose who we worship. He won't force us. He doesn't manipulate us or coerce us. He doesn't make us. He gives us the choice, and the Lord will honor our choice. Be very, very careful with your choice. Verse 15, the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. He has been. (laughs) For 18 years, he has been. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. We we see two confessions here, verse 10 and and verse 15. Um, But these confessions, they're pretty lousy. A little pathetic. This is more of what not to do than, than what to do. And in verse 10, they, they didn't deal with their sin. They, they were diminishing their sin. They were vague with their sin. There, there's no apology. There's no asking for forgiveness. And now in verse 16, they're, they're not dealing with their temptation to sin. Look at that. Verse 16, they, they put away the foreign gods from among them. What does that even mean? They put him away. They, they boxed him up and put him in the back of the closet. They, they, they put him up in the, the attic. They, they took him out and put him in the barn in the back. That's not what Gideon did. Do you remember Gideon? He went out and smashed the altar of Baal. He crushed it. He destroyed it. He went to the Asherah pole and he cut that sucker down. He destroyed it. He dealt with it. See, this is the failure of the judges This is the failure of the people in the book of Judges, that that they're relapsing, they keep returning to their sin because they're not dealing with their sin. And they're not dealing with their temptation to sin. See, for us, if if there is something that's keeping us from the Lord, if there's something that's compromising and and pulling us away, it's it's tempting us away from the Lord, do, do do we put it away or do we destroy it? We destroy it. We drag it out to the street and we shoot it. We, we get rid of it. We, we dig a hole in, and we bury it. We, we go burn it. We, we get rid of the temptation. If sin is crouching at your door, do you keep the door open? No, you shut it. You lock it. You deadbolt it. You get some two-by-fours, and you, you shut that thing closed. Nothing's coming through that door. You're not allowing the temptation. You're not giving in to the, the choice to compromise. It's way too easy because we know ourselves, but we deceive ourselves thinking we can handle it. I can deal with it. I can put it away. It's okay. No, get rid of it. Destroy it. Crush it. Deal with it. They put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel. This last phrase is a, it's a little bit awkward. Impatient meaning that the Lord, he, he became burdened. The, the Lord was, was heartbroken. The Lord is, is now suffering as he is watching the suffering of his people. The Lord is the one who, who sold these people into the hands of their enemies. For the last 18 years, they've been crushed. They've been oppressed. They've been devastated. And the Lord has been watching. And just as he saw their sin, he, he now sees their suffering. And the Lord is the Lord of compassion. These are his people. This is his bride. He is committed to them. And he can't take it any. he is impatient he can't continue to watch this go on as as his people are suffering at the hands of their enemies so was it their confession was it what they said was it because they put away the false gods is that why now look at the text it's because of their misery it's not what the people of Israel did It's the character of God, that that he sees them in their misery, and the Lord extends to them mercy. This gives us hope, because just as the Lord sees our sin, he also sees our suffering. And the Lord doesn't want to leave us in our sin, he also doesn't want to leave us in our suffering. To wrap this up, two two thoughts, two things to take home this week. Sometimes our sin is what brings us suffering. When we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. Our compromise leads to consequences, and, and the Lord is angry. He deals with sin, but the Lord doesn't want to leave us in our sin By grace, the Lord wants to change us. He wants us to confess our sin because he is faithful and just to forgive us from our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes our sin is what brings us suffering, but sometimes the Lord brings us suffering. See, suffering is not always a direct result from sin. Sometimes the Lord allows suffering. He allows you to go through a trial because he has a bigger purpose. He has a bigger plan for your life that he wants to refine your faith. He wants to prove your faith as genuine. He, He wants to see the fruit of your faith in an unsaved and unbelieving world. He wants to put you on display that through your suffering, you can bring him the glory. And so the Lord allows the suffering. But just as he sees the suffering, he will not leave you in suffering, He will extend mercy in your suffering. And we're told here that the Lord is watching and He will not allow an hour longer, a minute longer than is necessary, but the Lord will step in. The Lord will, will act on your behalf. He will move with mercy because He is a Lord of compassion. And so, right now, if you find yourself in a season of, of pain, in a season of, of suffering, I want you to go home and ask yourself this week, do I have any unconfessed sin in my life? Am I feeling the, the choices of my compromises? Is, is my situation, my, my circumstances a, a result of my consequences? Is the Lord trying to get my attention? Is the Lord doing a a work in me and a work around me right now? And don't diminish it. Deal with it. Confess it. Take it to the Lord. Because the answer is grace. The Lord wants to extend grace. He wants to change and restore. And if you've done that, and if you're still in a season of suffering, if life is still hard, there's hope. Because the Lord sees it. And he will not allow you to suffer for a minute longer than necessary. He will step in your misery. He will give you mercy. The Lord doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to bring you to himself and closer to yourself. He has a bigger plan and a purpose for your life. He won't keep you in your misery. He wants to extend his mercy. The answer to our our sin problem is grace. The answer to the, the suffering problem is mercy. The Lord wants to provide that. Let's pray. Lord, we are a broken and a lost people. There may be people this morning who are, are far from you. There may be people who are, are hurting. People who are, are, are experiencing a point of, of loss and sorrow and grief. And Lord, I pray that this week they can be asking the question, why? Lord, may sin be dealt with. Lord, may sin be confessed. May, may you be the one who offers the complete forgiveness and the grace Lord, may you be the one who's extending mercy in our suffering. Lord, that when life is, is hard, when, when life seems unfair, Lord, may we trust having the, the absolute hope that you are the anchor of our soul. Lord, that you know what you're doing, that you're a God who is good, a God who loves, and a God who wants to extend your compassion to your people. Not because we deserve it, because you created us and love us. And are wanting to draw us closer to yourself. So, Lord, we confess that many ways and many times we fall short. But, God, your grace is sufficient. Your grace can make things new, your grace can complete us and change us. Lord, you are the one that we need.